Turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 1. The music tonight has been so beautiful and moving, we thank God for it. Our team were in Florida attending First Baptist Church Jacksonville and the great National Pastors Conference. There are thousands of people there. That auditorium seats over 10,000 people. And Homer Lindsay and Jerry Vines are the pastors there. And God has used them in a great and marvelous way as one of the catalysts in helping to turn Southern Baptists around back to a more conservative understanding of the Word of God. <clears throat> we praise God for that. God has used that conference to touch the lives of people all over the world. People come there from all over the world. And I'm glad some of our people had the opportunity to be there. You pray for them as they, uh, as they uh, get blessed and encouraged during those meetings there. Our passage tonight is Isaiah chapter 1. And the subject, they have gone away backward. They have gone away backward. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we ask that the Spirit of God would speak to all of our hearts tonight. And may we be aware that Jesus is here, that the Spirit of God wants to bring that message home to our hearts. <clears throat> and we pray that all of us will be open to what God would say to every individual. May the Holy Spirit move in spiritual power tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In Isaiah chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth its owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. The man Isaiah was true to his name. His name means salvation of the Lord. He was the greatest of the writing prophets, 66 chapters in his book, and it is a miniature Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. <clears throat> the first 39 chapters of books of the Bible are the Old Testament, and they predict the coming of Christ. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah predict the coming of Christ. The last 27 books in the New Testament, beginning with Matthew through Revelation, present the Christ. The last 27 books of Isaiah, chapters of Isaiah, chapter 40 through 66, present the Christ as the atoning redeemer of the world. And so Isaiah has a, has a very uh, much of an important part in every believer's heart. You read the book of Isaiah, it's like reading the Bible from cover to cover. A great book. But notice the dates of this book. Isaiah preached from 740 B.C. to 680 B.C. Now during this time, the Assyrian Empire was moving toward northern Israel. 
And in 722, northern Israel went down the drain. The ten northern tribes were taken captive. They were never heard from again. But Isaiah's message was to southern Israel. It was during the kings of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Each of these kings had a very important part to play, and some of them were exceptionally good kings. But 95 years after the ministry of Isaiah, Babylon came in and sacked the city and burned the walls and burned the temple and tore it all apart and took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego captive over into Babylon. And for 70 years, because they had neglected the Lord's day for 70 years, 70 Sabbaths, for 70 years they were in captivity. Isaiah warned of all that. He said judgment is coming, and the people floundered it in God's face. He was the eloquent preacher of the Old Testament, eloquently describing the glory of God. He is the messianic prophet. He preached about the birth of Christ in Isaiah 7, 14 and 9, 6. He preached about the deity of Christ in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. He preached about the ministry of Christ in chapter 9, 1 and 2, chapter 42 and chapter 61. He preached about the death, the vicarious death of Christ on the cross in Isaiah 52 and 53. He preached about the future millennial reign of Christ in chapter 2 and chapter 66. He brought an indictment on the people of his day. And listen what the indictment was. In verse 4, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they are gone away backward. First thing we notice about that, he's talking to God's people. Talking to the church of the Old Testament. He's not preaching to the unsaved. You know, a lot of times in our Baptist churches, we think if the preacher would just preach to the lost all the time, everything go fine. Well, problem is a lot of the lost are not here. And the saved need to hear the Word of God. Uh, Isaiah preached to the saved, or to the people that called themselves the people of God. Only God knew whether they were saved or not. And so this message tonight is to God's people. And the message of Isaiah was to God's people. Now I want you to notice these four things. Number one, he gave the diagnosis of the problem. He said, you've gone away backward. That's the diagnosis. When you go to a doctor, you want to get a diagnosis of what's wrong with you. Sometimes they don't know, and they take weeks and weeks and weeks to try to find out, and finally they give you some kind of a diagnosis. I say, here's what's wrong. Well, God summed it all in that one little verse. He said, you've gone away backward. Now you think what that means. We'll come to it in a moment. Number one, they have forsaken the Lord. <clears throat> Look in verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children who are cupters, they have forsaken the Lord. This means that they knew the Lord, but have turned away from Him. They have forsaken Him. Look in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. He's talking about God's people. He said, you have rebelled against me. Instead of loving him, 
and wanting what he has to give us. Instead of a hungry heart, we have a whole hum attitude, an indifferent attitude, a complacent attitude, and it never moves us. I remember years ago, some of you do too, when the altars would be filled with adults praying for their kids. Now it's the opposite. Every Sunday we have kids coming to pray for their parents. My moms and daddies, what's the problem? Are you just afraid somebody will see you walk down the aisle and they'll wonder what kind of a gross sin have you committed? That's hogwash. That's dumb. That's spiritual indifference. When God is really getting hold of our heart, we're not going to worry about what somebody thinks. We'll do what God says to do. And God says, my people have rebelled against me. They heard what I wanted, and they've had stiff necks and hard hearts, and they've rebelled against me. And secondly, he said, I chastened them, but they wouldn't listen. Look in verses 6 to 9. From the sole of your foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land foreigners devour in, it, it, in your presence, and it is desolate and overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left as a booth and a vineyard, as a lodge in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Now, I'm not a peddler of sordid spots. I certainly don't run a garbage wagon. But I want to tell you, a few years ago, when that man wrote 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988, he was wrong, of course. You can't date, set dates. Same people are trying to say Jesus will come in the year 2000. You can't set dates. He might come in 1999. He might come in the year 3000. We don't know when he's coming. But he's coming. But there was a good thing that came out of that. About five or six people called me on the telephone and said, would you come and see me? I'm concerned about this thing of Jesus coming. I went to see them. At least two gave their hearts to Christ. Even though that was an error, they were disturbed about it. Now we're hearing a lot of commotion about the computer crisis. I read yesterday that this is supposed to begin in, in May, April, May, and June of this year. And somebody told me they went to a meeting the other night and the bankers were all worried and, sh and wringing their hands and so on and so on. I'm not trying to spread panic. I just want to tell you, it's possible that God is letting us have a little warning just to wake us up, whether the thing ever happens or not. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be ready for the coming of Christ tonight. Not six or eight months from now, but now. And we need to get our hearts on fire for God now and be done with the arrogant, sophisticated, cynical, sarcastic attitude, terrible, that is ugly before God. No Christian ought to have that kind of attitude. No preacher, no deacon, no choir member, Nobody that calls himself a Christian should have that kind of a cynical attitude. Go and repent. Get under the bench. Ask God to forgive you. 
and he will. You keep on in that way and you're going to drive other people to hell and you're going to injure the work of God. That's what Israel did. They re rebelled against him. They rejected his chastening. Look over in Amos chapter 4 a moment. Amos chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Here are some things God did to bring them to, to their awakening. I have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. That means famine. And lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have withheld the rain from you. There's been a drought. When there were yet three months of the harvest, and I caused it to rain on one city, not on another, and so on. Verse 9. I have smitten you with mildew and blight. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them. You didn't have any fruit. Yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Verse 10. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses and I have made the stench of your camps to come up unto your nostrils. Yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Verse 11, I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Ye were like a firebrand picked out of the burning. Yet ye have not returned to me. Therefore, verse 12, therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Now that's what God was saying 95 years before Israel fell, before Judah fell. And Isaiah reached on down the years. Finally, the king Manasseh, the most wicked king that ever lived, strung Isaiah up between two trees and bowed those trees, pulled him tight, then took a saw and sawed him in two because he didn't like what Isaiah was preaching. And some of you would like to get rid of the preacher. You say, well, preaching, I've never said that. Yeah, but your attitude's like that. Sarcastic. Sad. Sour. Just sour as a lemon. I think you've drunk lemon juice with no sugar in it. Or been baptized in it. And I want to tell you, God says that will bring judgment. And in your own heart, you couldn't be happy. You couldn't be happy like that. You think I'm happy? Things are terrible, sour, 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 sour. Nobody's happy that's sour. They're miserable, just miserable. And when they, all this sourness comes out, it's, it's just a show that all that sourness is in their heart. There's some problem there. Now you can either get mad at the preacher tonight or repent. Ask God to help you with it, and he will. He'll do it. The second thing. Look in verses 11 to 15. They have pro provoked the Holy One of God to Israel, uh, of the Holy One of Israel to anger. <clears throat> Look in verses 11 to 15. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? <clears throat> Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies I cannot bear. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary of them. And when you spread forth your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. He said, you provoke me to anger. 
Now, it's a terrible thing when God's patience wears out. But, beloved, it happens. It happens. And in Amos, the passage we read a few moments ago, Amos chapter 4, he said, I've done this and this and this and this and this and this. You wouldn't repent. You wouldn't turn. My patience is gone. And therefore, prepare to meet God, O Israel. Amos preached about the fat kind of Israel. Now, excuse me, ladies, he was talking about women. You fat, big cows. Of, of, I don't think that applies to anybody here. I don't know anybody that's fat. But that's what Amos was talking about. He said, just like you have rejected my counsel, and you've gotten uppity, and you've objected to the preaching of the, of the preachers, they're going to come along and put hooks in your noses and lead you across the desert. And that's exactly what happened to Israel in 722 B.C. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You've played church. Just played little church. You get bored with the singing. When are they going to quit singing? They just sing all the time over there. You get bored with it. Shame on you. What are you going to do in heaven? We'll sing forever. We have rehearsals for heaven every Sunday night. A lot of people don't, don't come because they don't want to get ready for heaven. You say, preacher, you're being awful judgmental. Well, they have to decide why they don't come. Maybe they're all sick. Maybe they're all at the funeral home. I don't know. But you're here. Thank God for that. Don't get weary with the great music. I think we have the sweetest music this side of heaven. <clears throat> you ask some of the people that come back from that Florida conference, how long did they sing? Every service they sing an hour and ten minutes, and then they have preaching. And sometimes preach two or three times. You'd have a hard time there when you, whatever time it is, I gotta go home. What do you, you don't really have to go home, you just wanna go eat something. Really. Or if you go home, you're gonna sit up and watch television, find all the scores that you missed today, but because you were in church. It's all right to do that. But don't cheat on God. Don't try to get God's church over early so you can go do whatever you want to do. You've got Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday and Saturday to do that. Most of you come on Wednesday night. Thank God for that. But he says you've played church. Just played a game of it. What you'd really like to do is go have them sing a few ditties. And then have a prayer. And then somebody read a little bit of the Bible. And then so I get up and preach a 10-minute sermon and then go home and you'll feel good. You won't ever have that, have that here as long as the Lord leads me to stay here. I want us to raise Christians, not Christianettes. Strong men and women. And if you'll open your heart to the Word of God and start loving it and enjoying it and saying amen and once in a while walk down this aisle and say, I haven't been as close to God as I ought to be. I want to get closer. It'll do something to this church that nothing else would do. <clears throat> They've played church. Look in Matthew 23 a moment, please, will you? Matthew chapter 23. This is the, a series of woes. Jesus himself said this. If you don't like it, you'll have to deal with him. In Matthew 23, beginning with verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, nor 
permit them that are entering to go in? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. He's talking about religious people here. Verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Verse 16, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, who say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor, ye fools and blind. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? Verse 20, Whosoever therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things on it. Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, mercy, justice, and faith, these Ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. I want to say something. I don't think I've ever known a soul winner that wasn't a tither. But I've known gobs of tithers who aren't soul winners. And I don't know whether they think they're going to be accepted on the basis of their money they peel out or not. Thank God that you give money to the Lord's church. But God forbid that he should ever close my mouth for fear that somebody would quit giving when I preach. That just ain't going to happen. Some of you wish it would. We'd have more money. I believe the Lord will take care of us. Be not dismayed. Whatever be tied, God will take care of you. It is far, far more important to win the loss to Christ than to give your tithe. However, I don't know anybody that is a consistent soul winner that doesn't tithe his income. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more he says, I want all. And most soul winners give more than 10%. May weigh more than that. Because they feel like I can't give Jesus enough. I want to give him more and more and more. God will bless. Listen to this in Matthew 23 again, verse 27. Warn to you scribes and Pharisees, because ye are like the whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. We patch the outside up, make it look pretty good, but inside it's filthy. Number 29, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous, and say, if we had been in those days of our fathers, we wouldn't have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye are the sons of them who killed the prophets. And he didn't go on and say this, but they're the very ones that killed him. We wouldn't have done that if we'd been in Isaiah's day or Jeremiah's day or Amos's day. We wouldn't have done that. Shame on you, you did it. And some of the same people are doing that today. They'd give anything to close the preacher's mouth. They'd do anything to uh, shorten the services. They'd do anything to uh, calm things down a little bit. Don't get too excited about the things of God. Brother, we need to get more excited. You played church. You provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. And the last indictment, you've gone way backward. Now that's the indictment. That's the sum total of what he's saying. You know what it means to go way backward? Here's what it means to turn away and go. Here's the Lord out here. I'm tired of I'm just going to turn around and go somewhere else. Yeah. So, but you're a Christian? No, I quit serving God. But to go away backward is different. Here's the Lord out here. 
Why you say, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee all the follies of sin I resign. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, and you go farther and farther and farther and farther away from God until you can't even hear the tug of God in your heart. You've gone away backward. You've backward. You've backed away from God. Your face is still toward him, acting as if you really love him. But in your heart, there's full of of whispers and envy and anger and wickedness and resentment and sin and bitterness and God knows it it's there what will you do about it what will you do in the end thereof you remember the Japanese at Pearl Harbor I was a young boy when that happened but I know about it I remember I'll never forget it anybody that lived through that if you were six or seven years old and above you'd remember where you were that day it was on Sunday, and I remember exactly where I was when, they, when they, somebody came running down the street and said, Japan has attacked America, and I just froze in my steps. I didn't know what all that meant. I learned later that the Japanese leaders were in Washington making entreaties and making treaties and saying, uh, we'll never attack you, and so on. They were just laughing, laughing, and they knew all along that the ships and the planes from Japan were already on the way to Pearl Harbor to try to defeat and destroy our Pacific fleet. A lot of people do that to God. They just go away from Him. They go away backward. They pretend one way, but really their heart is filled with all kinds of enmity and wickedness and sin. Reminds me of the American schools. You know, we give them more and more money. More and more money. More and more money. What we need is money. E pluribus unum. Give it to them. Money, 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 money. Why, it'll help the students get better. And we've tried it for the last how many years? And every year, those scores got lower. Violence became heavier. Drugs and dope became more widespread. After a while, kids began taking guns to school and shooting each other. Gave them more money. The teachers got more money, more educational money, and so on. Brother, money isn't the answer to that. We need a spiritual renaissance. We need a time when somebody will stand up and say, this is enough. This is enough. You can't outlaw God from us any longer. And when you say that, Remember, you're running the risk of people not liking it. They've gone away backward. Listen to the catalog of sins that Isaiah mentions, not necessarily in this one chapter, but in here. He talks about cheating and lying and adultery and fornication and pornography and promiscuousness and free sex and abortion. Remember, we kill 171 babies every hour, murder them in their mother's womb. 4,200 babies every day, a million six hundred thousand every year, over 30 million in the last few years slaughtered. And this partial birth or abortion, terrible, terrible thing. The baby comes to the time of birth and they turn it around <clears throat> and they let the feet come out. And then as the head comes out, 
and the child is just about born, they take an ice pick or scissors and dig into the, into the brain of that baby and suck all the brains out. You say, that makes me sick. Doesn't make you half as sick as make God. That's wicked and wrong and sinful. And how on earth anybody could vote for that? I have no idea. They must have a perverted idea about God and the Bible. That is as wrong as it can be. <clears throat> Lust, luxury, liquor, gambling, pro profaming the Lord's day, neglect of God's word, indifference to the things of God, neglect of the Holy Spirit, approving things and approaching the things of God with satire and sarcasm and bitterness. It's an awful thing I read in this book of Isaiah about the sin of used to be. The sin of used to be. There's some in the auditorium tonight, some that I've known. I don't know whether you're in this condition or not, so I shouldn't say in the auditorium. You let the Holy Spirit apply that. But there are people that I've known who used to be something for God, and they're not anymore. They've gone away backward. They didn't mean to. They thought they were okay. They just kept going back and back and back. Sometimes we call that backsliding. That means they're still facing the cross. They're still facing God, but they're going back farther and farther away. The sin of used to be. I used to be a Sunday school teacher. I used to visit for Jesus. I used to call people on the phone, urge them to come. I used to pray a lot. I used to read the Bible a lot. I used to be faithful in all things. I used to be pure. God, save us from being a used-to-be. What a terrible, terrible epitaph. He used to be something for God. Paul said, I beat my body into subjection. Lest after I've preached to others, I myself become a castaway. Now, I don't know what all he meant by that, whether he's talking about his physical body or his spiritual life. Whichever it was, he said, I beat my body into subjection. The subjection to the laws of God, the power of God, lest after I've preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. My friend, did you know that Christians can commit adultery? Christians can commit fornication? Christians can commit premarital sex? And somebody says, well, I don't know whether it's wrong to pre get involved in premarital sex. Where does the Bible say that? Over and over. You just turn to the page. It's over and over again in here. And especially in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, every one of us needs to know how to possess his own vessel. And God wants us sanctified unto him and not involved in premarital sex. You don't understand that? Read it. If you can't understand it, get a dictionary. Or get somebody to explain it to you. It's there as clear as it can be. God says don't do it. Now, how are you going to avoid doing it? You say, well, I have these temptations, have these desires. Sure you do. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, what do you do when you fail? You curl up and not die. Throw in the towel. I'm going to quit. I used to be something, but I'm not anymore. No, no, no. God wants you, the moment you understand you failed, to come quickly back to the cross and repent and ask God to cleanse you and forgive you. And what will he do? He'll do it. He says that right here in this passage. 
I want you to get to that, and, and then I'll close the service tonight. Look in Isaiah chapter 1, verses uh, 16, 17, and 18. He's talking to these same people. He says, wash yourself from your indifference. Wash yourself from your cynicism. Wash yourself from your sin. Wash yourself and make you clean and put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. There's no reason on earth, no reason on earth for anyone, not anyone, to live under the past. There's nobody who's gone so far away from God but that he can come back. There's nobody whose life has been on the dregs but you can come back if we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but there has to be a deep-seated repentance. Have you known what repentance means? Repentance is not just a doctrine for the unsaved, it's a doctrine for the church. It's a doctrine for God's people. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. He said that to the church. I can't imagine Jesus standing outside the Glendale Baptist Church and knocking on the door and saying, if you'll let me in, I'll come in and sup with you. Oh, <clears throat> dear God, if that should ever happen, we need to be on our faces before God and say, God, we didn't want that to happen. We want you here. We need you here. We want you to correct us. We want you to preach to us. We want you to, to say what needs to be said, and we will do what we can about it in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here without Jesus tonight, you've never been saved. God wants to save you. He wants to change you. He has saved Catholics. He has saved Baptists. He has saved Methodists. He has saved Episcopalians. He can save anybody. He didn't say anything about church membership taking you to heaven. But he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus will save you. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Will you come to him? Though your sins be as scarlet, though you've messed up, though your life has been a total wreck, and though you're not proud of the past, you can be proud of the future because God can change you tonight and your whole future will be different. You see, we don't hold people's past against them. When we start doing that, we need to consider ourselves. There's not one here that can cast stone at another. We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. And when Jesus saves us, we have a clean slate and we start on the way to heaven. Now, if you've messed up after you started to heaven, what do you do? Confess it. And you know what God does with the sin? He puts in the sea of his forgetfulness. He remembers it against us no more. And you come to him again. You say, Lord, I'm bothered by this. My conscience is bothering me. I, I sinned a year ago or I sinned five year, months ago or I sinned two or three days ago. And I confessed to you and I ask you to forgive me. Lord, help me. And the Lord say, what sin are you talking about? I don't know anything about it. It's on the sea of God's forgetfulness. It's in the past. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed before the Lord for just a moment. <clears throat> our Father.
We thank you for everyone in this congregation tonight and the precious way they have received God's Word. We pray that the Spirit of God will move on our hearts and may every one of us have a heart that is willing to turn away from sin and away from careless living and away from our cynicism and away from our indifference and our carelessness to a life of care and concern and love. God grant that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. What song we sing? 361. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Do what God tells your heart to do.